Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeah, we are rolling. We're recording. Got the band back together today. I'm sitting <laughs> down with Kenton Claremont, founder of Train to Hunt. How are you, brother? Good, man. Good. It's, uh, it has been a long time coming. Uh, I think we figured out, what, six years? Yeah, so Kenton and I... We're business partners six years ago, but we broke up. But when I say get back together, it's just me like we're, we're trying to figure out a way to like, you know, help each other out work and um, still like be connected. I did see you in the mountains last year. Yeah, yeah. I saw you at um, trade shows here and there. Yeah. Um, Seems like we run into each other at least once a year. Absolutely. I mean, somewhere, Spokane's small and you live, uh, you live in Airway Heights or Edwall or where do you live? Um, out towards Medical Lake. Medical Lake area. Yeah, so, yeah. We don't live that far apart. No. An hour tops, yeah. not even. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's about 40 minutes or so. 40 minutes. So for you guys that don't know about Train to Hunt, Train to Hunt started in 2010? 10, yep. 10, okay. So it's a bridge for hunters to basically, well, the name says it all. You're training to hunt right. regardless of your style of hunt. Sheep hunters, elk hunters, whitetail hunters. If you're a hunter and you want to do it the rest of your life really well, maybe you should check out Train to Hunt. Yeah, and like, you know, you, 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 were, you, you, know, you were a big part of this journey. Um, Dan is, uh, Dan's, Dan and I go a long ways back. I was just thinking about this on the way back to the podcast, on, on the way to the podcast, and I think we met in like 2003 or 2004. Are you serious? Well, yeah, when you remember, it was a long, it was time, a long ago. time ago. We, I walked in and, and, uh, you, and I wanted a job. And you came marching in and sat down, and I pulled out my portfolio, and and uh, we went through it a little bit. And then you said, where are you from? And I said, Idaho. And you said, do you bow hunt? And I said, yes. And you shut my portfolio and said, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the easiest interview I've ever had in my life. And uh, then we just talked about elk hunting and bow hunting the rest of the time. And uh, from for the, next, yeah, for the next couple of years. I remember that because yeah. when I first – so I don't know what you're doing on the South Hill of Spokane, Washington, living in Bonners Ferry. I don't know what the hell you came into that gym. But uh, yeah. I think my days were 
maybe where they were numbered up there and I was moving back to the north That's right. Gym, That's right. You were going to like you're like I'm going over there too. I was like, yeah. Yep. But uh we struck a friendship immediately and I think you you were an experienced hunter but you hadn't had a ton of sets with a bow yet. Yeah. And I'll never forget it was like we hadn't been working long together but you're like, "Oh, I'm going out for the opener." And I don't I think the opener was like August 30th, 30th or something. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like I had I think this is 2004 or 5. I had maybe killed one elk with a bow and one elk with a rifle. And yeah. I was like, dude, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And the next month, like I remember I was like, I'm going deer hunting because deer opened September 1st. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Yeah. Labor Day weekend. <laughs> and you come back with a really nice herd bull. Yeah. You killed like into August or first day of September. Yeah. And you bugled them in. Your dad bugled them yeah. in. And I'm like, what the hell? That's I didn't know anything about oak hunting. That was a long time ago, man. But that was awesome. You were like, yeah, I just killed a bull this weekend. And I just was like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, how did you just kill a bull on labor? Like, were they even bugling? You're like, oh, yeah, we bugled them in. I'm like, what? Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah, it's been uh, – so Dan was my so Dan was my boss for the first three, two and a half, three years and uh, taught me a ton about leadership. And I looked up to uh, the way he ran the the – the fitness uh, crew up there and then um we, then you you took off and went and uh, did parisis and in the interim i was still you know d- you know kind of bumping around the fitness industry in the in the big gyms and then you came back and when you got back is when you said hey let's meet for coffee i got some ideas yeah and that's when uh we we started crossfit uh, spokane valley yeah so what we did was we did a week we took our week free pass because CrossFit Spokane yeah, had that's just right. opened. That's right. And I was kind of butthurt because I wanted to be the first CrossFit in Spokane, but they, they beat us. Like Yeah, by, fact, by a year. Yeah, like they opened one in Airway Heights. Yep. And then I think they moved to Spokane. And when they just moved to Spokane, I was like, well, well let's go try them out for a week. And yep. I think we did one workout. And I think we looked at each other and was like, dude, yeah. we should do this. Yeah, this is the way to go. And it's a cool entrepreneurial story because we started with really absolutely <laughs> nothing. God had a hand in everything. For sure. Like, For sure. We didn't know. Like, I'm not from the Spokane Valley. I'm from the north side. I don't know people in the Spokane Valley. Right. I know all my contacts are like north or south. Yep. And you're, you're like, dude, I, uh, I got us a place. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I got a place. Like, I talked to the guy. And he wants us to open up in his like sublease. I'm like, dude, we can't afford that. That's like eight thousand square feet. Yeah. And you're like, no, we can. Like, yeah. Five hundred bucks a month. <laughs> yeah. For eight thousand yeah. usable square feet yeah. with ceilings that are twenty five feet yeah. high. Shut the front door. Yeah. I, my current facility is not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I remember, I remember those days. Just it was just, like you said, it was just a, a total divine intervention. It was meant to be. It was like this guy that I was working for said, I, I, I told him about CrossFit. He called it Crossfire 10 times before I finally told him it was called CrossFit. <laughs> he said, yep, I want you to take the, our, uh, our utility gym and I want you to turn it into CrossFit. And I was like, well, um, you know, what are you going to charge us? He's like, 500 bucks a month. And boom, you know, then when this started. Yeah. And um, then what was it? Gosh, every year. I mean, even starting that year, we would take September and we'd go hunt together and yeah. we just, we just like everything else, all our trainers would take classes and Dan and Kenton are in the mountains. That was the deal for that me. Was it. Taking yeah. a six, like almost making six figures consistently since I was 21 to, <laughs> I didn't take a salary that first year. And, right. and so that was the deal for me. I was like, okay, if I'm not getting paid for this, I'm getting paid for this in time. Like yeah. I'm going elk hunting. That's right. And uh, that's right. That was cool. Yeah, that's that was right. good. And I think uh, the people that are still part of CrossFit Spokane Valley, 
the, there's very few, but there's a handful that have been there since day one. Yeah. They'll look back and be like, dude, those were the best days. Yeah. Because we didn't have much, and we did so much with what we had. Yeah, that's right. That's it was right. awesome. That's right. And, the, and we were on the same page as far as, like, let's do this to stay debt-free. Let's not, like, just – let's not grab a bunch of investors. Let's not get yeah. in the debt over our eyeballs. Let's what just, did we each put in? I think uh, it was, like, maybe 2500 bucks or something. I mean, really? we, I, I remember we started with, like, three rowers – a handful of medicine balls. And then remember we were, we were bumming plates and bars from yep. the gym next door and he yeah. was cool with it. Yeah. And we were, remember, uh, everybody that walked in would give him a month free. Your first month is free. Yeah. And then we hooked them. Like we it, did. Yeah. And we had the, we gave a month away. We gave a month. Uh, their first month was free. And had we, to. Yeah, because nobody even knew what CrossFit was. Mm-mm, this was 2007, 2008. Eight. Yeah. 2008. So they come in. Hadn't they, caught fire yet. That's right. And uh, so they'd come in, and I think it was probably close to 90% retention. Yeah. Like, if they came in and, and did a workout, they were they were going. In fact, remember the very early days, it was um, like Judy and like three guys, and we didn't have, we didn't even have any, uh, any equipment yet. We just had a, the, just the floor. And so we were, do, we were having them do like, stuff with plates and well, we had turf yeah right? yeah yeah we had the turf we and that, the turf. that was about it so anyway yeah humble beginnings for sure i still can't believe like we bought that turf from arizona state university yeah, yeah. It's like they're used <laughs> turf yeah and somehow we got a deal on i mean yep. everything we built our own rig like before rogue yep. was a player yeah we like my dad literally helped us yeah. fabricate <laughs> yeah a sick rig with yeah scrap lane behind the gym that's the right very back lot i that's mean yeah right. and then we got greedy and we're like, man, we're actually making money. Let's open another one on the north side. Yep. And that's kind of the start of the fall of it. I think where it's just like, man, less was more. It put a ton of pressure on us as it owners did. and, it, you know, anybody that's ever had a partnership. Anytime that there's added, you know, tension in the business, um, you tend to, there's, ten, there's, there's, there's added stress in a partnership yeah. and then there's, cause there's a lot more like sit downs. Oh. There's a lot more like, okay, where are we going with this? And what's the plan and what's the goal? And if, yeah. the, if, if we're not on the same page, just figure something out. And, um, once that North side basically went under, basically we signed the world's shittiest lease. Yeah. And I know the guy's name. I'm not going to say it. I yeah. still remember his name. <laughs> he screwed us. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we were dumb. We were young. That. Yeah, we were young and, you know, young and, and we were making money and we thought two, if one's better, two's better. You know, if one's good, two's better. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> anybody out there right now, if you were under the impression that since you have one location that's doing well, hey, why not open a second? Um, scale up, right? You, that's what you're that's supposed right. to do that's nowadays right. is scale up. Right. More locations is better. All you do is double your overhead and split your split your customers. Yeah. It's really that's that's what happened to us. And so. Um, and there's people that do it well and successful. I yeah. mean, Kalipa, Jason Kalipa's got, gosh, 20, 30. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I still, that's not attractive to me. Yeah. I barely have enough time running one still to this day. Yeah. It's a people business. Yeah. You have to be vested in the people. Yeah. And I don't know how you could do that by running several, unless you find the right people, I guess. I don't know. I'm not motivated by money anymore. Like, I was in my 20s. Yeah. I'm motivated by time. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's about starting something and, and starting it for the right reasons and sticking to the mission statement and then getting people in there that agree with your mission statement that can, uh, I'm not going to say replace you because there's no really replacing the owner. Right. You know, you know you're going to have more passion about it than anybody you're going to be able to find. 
um, to help run it. But if you can find somebody who agrees with your mission statement, is good with the people, and you can kind of let some of that control out, um, that's that's the key. And I think that's one thing that they don't tell entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs, for the most part, are pretty. Um, uh, they like they they like the control. They like control. They, they like control. they like to know like okay, if it's up if it if it is to be, it's up to me type of guys yeah. like you and I are. Yeah. And to be able to kind of let the reins out a little bit, especially when you start a company like CrossFit Spoken Valley, you're trained to hunt. It's really tough to like hand your baby over to somebody and, and trust them with that. Um, yeah. Regardless. I was talking to CJ Buck uh, a couple of podcasts ago. He's the CEO chairman of Buck Knives. Yeah. Yeah. There. I couldn't believe I got time with him because yeah. he's a very, he's worth way more than I am. He's busy. <laughs> he's got way more fires to put out. Yeah. And, dude, he just, like, casually said some of the most powerful stuff. It was a very short podcast. I didn't want to take a lot of his time. Yeah. But he just comes out saying, you need to make yourself non-essential to your company. And yeah. And it was like, so hard. mic drop. I'm like, okay, he's so right. Because I've been trying to do that so much lately. Yeah. And it's really difficult. Like, oh, Dan, no, you're the you're across the Spokane Valley. It's Dan State. Right. And I don't want that. I want Cross Spokane Valley to be it's CrossFit Spokane Valley. It's all the coaches and all the members that make it. That's right. Not me. Right. And so I've definitely backed off like my hours there. Yep. But behind the scenes, they haven't backed off. And yeah. I'm still working on getting more people to help me with I hate to say it, but lower level stuff and i want to work on higher level stuff and sure to me higher level stuff is vision programs community yeah yep. events advertising marketing um yeah. systems right and the stuff that's not essential for me to be doing is like stuff that's kind of mundane but still really important like the actual programming that goes on yeah um, the actual systems in place with the coaches the new members the right member retention um we have similar businesses. I mean, you have we do. members we do. that join Train to Hunt. Yep. Tell everybody about kind of what, what, what do you guys offer at Train to Hunt? What do you guys do? So um, back in the day when it first started, we, it was just a vision that, <clears throat> that Dan and I had to be able to take training to the hunting community. Because everybody, everybody that hunts doesn't necessarily want to go to a gym to train. Um, they'd like to just put on their pack and, you know, step outside. And I, shoot. I don't blame them. Yeah, me neither shoot their bow and, and just do exactly what I need to do in order to get ready for the mountains. Well, um, as everybody knows, hunting is pretty specific as far as like what you need to do in order to be able to go out, get out there and enjoy, which I think this is a good time to talk about why a person should, you know, do some training in order to go hunting. It's not because it's going to make you um, necessarily better at stalking or, or scouting or shooting or anything like that, but it will make your overall experience more enjoyable. And enjoyable because you're going to be able to do things that maybe you couldn't do the year before, um, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, chase a bull, at, at, you know, right at dusk or, you know, right, right before dark. Or if you do, um, if you are successful, you won't, you know, the, it won't kill you to get it out of the back country. Um, but maybe even more important than that, the two things that I, uh, that I've always stood by the reason people should train. If you can't train for yourself, then you should be training for the people you're hunting with. Because if something happens to them, you need to be able to get out, uh, get them out, whether it be physically pick them up and take them out of there, or you need to be able to march your butt out of there and get to help so that they can, you know, if something happens, they can get rescued. Um, and that you would never forgive yourself if for some reason you For were... example, Dave Brinker. That's right. Year with Corey Jacobson. That's right. The guy, 
<clears throat> if you didn't know, and I love Dave's a good friend, so is Corey, but he was shooting some slim uh, arrows. Yep. And he didn't tighten his quiver holder to hold his, you know, slimmer like four millimeter arrows. Right. Well, that rookie move, but hey, we're all busy. Yeah. His arrows weren't holding, staying in there, and the day before it fell out, and he almost stepped on it, and they caught footage of that, but he didn't. And then the next day, sure shit, it fell out. And he tripped and landed on his broadhead, went deep into the muscle belly of the calf, gastroc. And, dude, Corey had to, like, put him on his back. Yeah. Get him out. Yeah, that's serious. That's What if Corey wasn't in shape for? That's right. What if Corey gets hurt while trying to help his buddy who's hurt? Right. And I think that's a big – it's a big – I think it's a big point. Because most people are – it's easy to let themselves down. You know, it's easy for them to commit, I mean, to something. And then as life gets – you know, in the way that it's like, oh, you know what, I'll just suffer through it another hunting season. I mean, whatever, I've been doing it, and it hurts, but it only hurts for a little while. But um, if if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your hunting partners. The other reason I think that, um, if for no other reason, is we all want to hunt late in our years. And, for sure. And in order to do that, you have to start now. Like, now is the time to start training. And we're not talking about going out and chasing the dragon. And what I mean by that is, like, always shooting for a PR and trying to get stronger every single day and and, you know, put, you know, hammering down and every single day and trying to kill yourself. I'm talking about just like some, some, some programs that will increase your weaknesses and then maintain those, maintain those, you know, that those floors and ceilings, um, throughout your life so that, you know, when you're 80 years old, you can still do the things that you can do when you're, you know, right now when you're whatever, how old you you happen to be now. Like, obviously if you're in your twenties, by the time you're in your eighties, there's going to be some things that you're just not going to be able to do that you can do now. But, um, I, I, I think of, I think of training for hunting is floors and ceilings. What I mean by that is you should be able to do a certain amount of thing. You should be a, like, you should be able to deadlift a certain amount of weight in order to, um, be able to, um, go out there and take the pack off the ground and put it on your back, you know? And so if you can, let's say you can, you can deadlift, um, say twice your body weight after you, after you can deadlift twice your body weight, you know, fairly easy. There, there's really no reason to go beyond that other than just like, I want to see how strong I can be. But if you can deadlift twice your body weight, you know, you're probably ready for anything that you're going to face in the mountains, whether it be picking a pack up and throwing it over your shoulder or any other, anything else you might have to do in the field. You know, I like what you said there about, like, you kind of have to face your weaknesses head on. You definitely I mean, we do. all gravitate towards the things that we excel at. I mean, if, For sure. if that's what worked, bro, I'd be a runner. I just love running. Right. It doesn't hurt. I'm good at it. Right. And I'm not good at squatting. Yep. And it always sucks, and it's a mental F to do them, but yeah. I have to squat heavy. Yep. Uh, I have to work on pretty much moving heavy weight. That's not what I was made to I wasn't designed for that. Um, right. And then decreasing your injury potential so big but what about i mean you covered that but what about the mental side of things knowing that you broke a sweat every day knowing that you were disciplined and you did the things you didn't want to do but you did them in the name of better hunting like mentally what does your program do for guys so that's a great question dan and i think that um to address it we need to we really need to kind of break down what the what people are 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 depending on now i mean really for as far as the train to hunt program um, it's just, it's a specific program for hunting, but if you're, if we're talking about any, any kind of physical, you know, preparation, people have a tendency to, to do it when they want to do it. 
um, when it feels good or when uh, they have the time or, you know, fill in the blank. And the fact of the matter is, is that you have to have discipline. And discipline is nothing more than saying, doing what you say you're going to do. And if you say you're going to train every day, then uh, you need to train every day, whether you, whether you like it or not. Now, that training session may not look like what you hoped it would look like, be able to set aside an hour and go out and do X, Y, and Z. Um, it, you know, things happen during the day, but you got, you still got to maintain that discipline and say, I'm still going to get a, a training session in. Yeah. Um, and that I think is the biggest, I think that's the big thing that it does for people as far as like building discipline. The other thing that it'll do is it's going to build your confidence because you know that, you know that you can, you, you're going to be able to pack weight because the, the train up programming has a lot of, uh, of, of movements where you're, you have a pack on, you have weight in that pack and you're, you're moving around, whether it be along, along you know, walk, run, it might be a long walk, it might be tackling a hill, it might be um, doing some movements with your pack on, whether it be, you know, pack get-ups or, or some burpees or, or box step-ups with a pack on. Um, and then we're also having you shoot with your, with uh, shoot during your workouts, which is going to help you to develop uh, a shooting program um, so that when the time arises, you're able to calm yourself down, go into your shooting mantra and make that shot happen. So it's going to build your confidence. Like train to hunt programming is going to not only get you ready physically, um, increase your, um, your self-discipline, but it's also going to build your confidence in that it's not the first time I've ever tried to do this, whether it be, you know, calm myself down and make a shot. Um, I think a lot of times people practice just standing in their back 40 and they sight in their 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, who knows as far out as they can shoot. And then they get in front of an animal and everything's changed. The environment's changed. My, my physiology has changed. My, you know, I've got a jump of adrenaline and, uh, and I'm, and, and you're tired and you're I'm tired. Yeah, I'm fatigued. So, uh, I think you need to train that way. And I think that, I mean, when it's something that's essential to being Having success, success being defined as um, punching your tag in the field, is that you have to be able to shoot. Because I don't if if all it took was being fit to be a good hunter, um, then then uh, you know the fittest people on the planet would be the best hunters, and that's not necessarily true. That's true, and that's a good point. Um, I will say though, for people like me that aren't as good hunters, sure make up for it with our fitness. Meaning, <laughs> I hunt day ten as hard, if not harder, than day one. Absolutely. Whereas anyone I've ever hunted with. Let's say I bring them to Idaho, yep. steep, not, it's not high elevation, but it's really brushy, steep, steep, steep. It's demanding. I'll give them three days and I'm proud if they made it three days. Yeah. Because by day four, they're just, they're going to want to sleep in. Yep. They're going to want a rest day yep. uh, for most people. And that's not to like really impress anybody. That's just to impress upon them that like, yeah, hey, it's unforgiving. There's not a lot of sleep. There's not a lot of recovery. If you yep. haven't, if you don't have the mental fortitude and the physical it's already you're already the cards are already against you like you already have yep. a bad hand the elk have awesome yep. smell uh you're on their turf yep uh, any animal like yep. you're in their backyard you're in their turf like they yep. know where the living room is you don't you're trying to figure it out um and they survive the most harshest year round this winter when it was snowing in february here feet at a time and I was next to my fire, warm and soft. Yeah. They're just huddled up, you know, trying to survive. Like, yeah. They're tougher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. And, that, I mean, and that's why I think it's important to train every day because you're going to be hunting every day. Yeah. And to know that you can do it day after day after day is important. Um, and we all know that success really is about it's, – it's, it's kind of a numbers game, right? Um, numbers game being 
obviously you're not going to kill an elk if there's no elk in your unit. So you have to be able to know, you know, how, what's the density like. Um, and the, you're never going to shoot an elk from camp. So you have to get out there and just do it. And, you know, to, knowing you, that's exactly like the success that you've had over the years has been because of how much time you were willing to put out, put in, in the mountains. Like yeah. you're, you're out there scouting, you're out there. I mean, I know you well enough to know that you actually, you actually do what I say, I think is that what every great hunter does and they do all their hunting in July and August yeah. and they do their killing in September. For sure. And in, and in order to do that, you have to have the physical pre- uh, preparation. And in order to do that, um, you have to have a mindset of every day. And if you, uh, if you take on the train to hunt programming, it's going to be every day. Now we're not going to try We're not going to just load you up every single day. There's going to be days where you're going to do a little bit lighter days than others. But um, the important part is that you have the discipline to get out there every single day and do something. So it's a year-round program. Yep. Um, it's got some deloads, some yep. peaks, some yep. valleys. Yep. But it's going to build you up for the fall. Um, we were talking about longevity. Yeah. Let's make it personal. Um, yep. Your dad, Tom, yep. how old is he? Dad is going to be – dad, today is his birthday. He's uh, 67 today. Happy birthday, Tom, if yes. you're listening. Uh, great human being. Um uh, I've seen you take him hunting in his early 60s. Yep. Uh, I've seen you almost kill him. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah he yeah. was the guy I was talking about. Like, he made it three days. Yep. And then, like, he's like, absolutely, I'm not going out yeah, today. It's, we're done. And he couldn't. But then he had a major heart surgery. Right? Uh, yes. He had a, he actually had a, uh, uh, an ablation in his heart. He had, well, he had AFib. So okay. then they went in, they did, uh, they did some, uh, they did surgery in his heart about three years ago, I guess. Um, and during the hunt that I think you're referring to in the, the sheep hunt, he he still had AFib real bad, and he didn't really know how to deal with it. Right. And he hadn't been and he hadn't been um, diagnosed with it. So yeah, we went out there for you know, three days, and we're talking about the Brooks Mountain Range. So it's a pretty unforgiving <laughs> place. And he's out there with, you know, the poor guy's out there with his two boys who are in their thir- in their thirties in their prime, and and we're we're trying to be go easy on him but um we walked we walked him quite a ways for three days um but um yeah you know after and now he's 67 now he's 67 today, he drew a goat tag he drew a goat alaska. T- he's going yeah. goat hunting he, in alaska yeah it, it's 67 that's longevity that's longevity and that's where we all want to be right that's, that's the trajectory that's right that's the trajectory we all want to be on and dad's training right now i put him on a program it's one of the train to hunt programs um, the no shape to mountain shape uh, program, and he's out there doing it. Now we backed it off just a touch for him. He's 67, and he he's a little deconditioned, so I backed it off the beginning for him a little bit. Um, but it's 16 weeks, so by the time we get ready to, for uh, to launch for our goat hunt, um, he'll be ready. And um, that's 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 what really that was the whole point of of coming up with the train out programming was. I mean, both of our dads. You know, yeah. we, we, we can hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. And, you know, when we did hunt with our dads, we had to back off a little bit. And so we, you know, we decided at the very beginning, Dan, that, we, that hey, we need to make it come up with a program so that our dads can hunt with us longer and we can be hunting hard when we're in our dad's age. And so 100%. that's, that's the, that was the whole, <clears throat> that's the whole idea. Now, if I can sh- shift gears just a little bit, and that's what I want to come back to, okay? But, you know, so Train to Hunt in its early years was a Train to Hunt, was a program. And it uh, was basically we were busting our bus to get out videos, and we talked about that earlier, and it was a daily thing. And then, and then the year after we started it, um, we, uh, 
I thought, man, we need to, we, we had that big fall off and okay, we need to give our, our, our uh, community something to do in the summertime rather than just 5Ks or triathlons or something bike races, something to train for and a good test, a good, yeah. ma- like a, a, like a valid measuring stick on how is my training program doing to prepare me for the fall? Yeah. Because I think no matter what you're doing, whether it be whether you're out there doing 5Ks, 10Ks, triathlons, ultra marathons, whatever it might be, it's great. I, I applaud you. I, I, I'm never going to be a hater on any kind of conditioning program, whether you, just because you're out there doing it, good on you. Now, but if you think that program is getting you ready for hunting season specifically, you should have some sort of measuring stick. Come find out. Come find out. Yeah, c- come to a train to hunt event and see how it's doing for you. See, am I doing, am I preparing myself correctly in order for hunting season. And that's what the train to hunt event was. And it launched in 2012, I think was our very first one with Steve Speck. Yep. And, uh, we, I mean, it was successful. Everybody that came by there, um, said, man, this is a really cool idea. We think that, uh, you know, the run and shoot idea is something that, uh, is going to catch on and, and you guys should go with it. Yes. Um, the next year, the next year we had five and now, man, that was 2012. So, um, fast forward. Yeah, I want to, I'm so excited to hear about this evolution. Yeah, yeah. I don't – I stay in my lane. I don't know what you guys yeah, do in yeah. a challenge. <laughs> right. I, um, and the whole purpose of bringing you on today, we're going to talk about Elk Shape Camp. But yep. I – at my last Elk Shape Camp, we – I said, guys, we're doing some, quote, train to hunt. This is I, what I believe – and I called you and got some consulting. Yeah. But uh, time out. we got a kid here. <laughs> okay. So that's why I stay in my lane is we – at the last Elk Shape Camp, we had uh, – I wanted to do shooting under duress. It's not really my expertise. I don't spend a lot of time doing it. Yep. So I called you and I was like, dude, I need some consultation. Like, w- w- there's two feet of snow outside. We need to do an indoor. I see you guys are doing something. Break yeah. it down. So you gave me some ideas. We ran with it. And it was awesome. I think it was eye-opening for myself and for everybody. Um, there were some guys that really just absolutely sucked when I threw yep. some burpees and a sandbag in a box. Yep. Couldn't shoot worth a shit. And then there was a couple guys who, like, wore ice in their veins, like, shooting, like, their heart was nothing. Like, they were in their backyard. Yep. Stacking with a target bow. Stacking <laughs> arrows. Yeah. A couple of guys. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, we're doing another elk shape camp. Uh, we need to do the full-on train-to-hunt deal. It'll be better weather. Come run a challenge course. Come teach the guys the insides of the course and how you do it. Um, so tell us about two things. The evolution of the movements – that you guys use in your train to hunt programming. I'm sure you've been down a road and figured out which ones have the most magic in them yep. for garage gym stuff. Yep. And then tell us about the evolution of the train to hunt course a little bit and where you're at today. Okay. So, uh, when we first, when I first started the train to hunt, uh, challenge, it was really, I thought, man, it was, it was, it was in, at a point where I really was in interested in finding like the fittest dude on the planet, right? Like I want to find the guy who's the bad, biggest, baddest and the girl biggest, baddest on the planet. And uh, so it was, it was really a, t- a grueling test. Um, and, and like we had a 200 pound, uh, meat pack, which was, you know, which it's a, that's a pretty demanding meat pack. Now in my defense, I didn't expect everybody to take the 200 pounds and try and do it in one trip. I expected them to do... People were doing that? Oh, yeah. I expect them to do 100 pounds to the finish line and then take the other 100 pounds and go to the finish line. But you didn't have a rule. 
but I didn't have a rule. In fact, I've messed up because there was a guy, there was a guy, he was about 270, 280, ex-NFL football player, looked at me and said, hey, can I take the 200 pounds at, all at once? And I remember looking at him and I said, man, if anybody's going to do it, you're the guy to do it. And because he, it was far enough, he, because he did it, everybody else wanted to do it. Oh, if that guy's doing it, I'm going to do it. I wouldn't do it. I, I know. It's just, it, 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 anyway, so it started off really heavy um, and quite a few reps. And the exercises that are really, I know, it's crazy. Holy so crap. so w- where, where it went was I wanted to find exercises that were really transferable to the field. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so what, in a hunting situation, what, what's a person going to be doing? Okay, they're going to be moving, um, they're going to be moving with a pack on. So we put a pack on them and I thought, okay, well, how much is it, how much does a day a pack weigh? Well, if you, you know, if, if you're just going out for the day, it's probably going to be somewhere around 20, 25, 30 pounds. So I put 20 pounds in, in the guys packs and 10 pounds in the girls packs and they had to keep that pack on the whole time. So in order to test like their ability to, you know, go up and down, uh, hills because every site was so different, I just put a box out there said, okay, 20 inch box, you got to go up and over the box. And that's going to, you know, basically test, you know, your step up, step down. Um, it's not, it's not great. I'd love to have a a hill at every event where we can go up and down the hill. Um, and we do do that. Um, but right on site, we do step, uh, step ups. Um, we also do burpees, which I think is a, a great overall movement because it's one of the biggest movements you can do just using your body weight, um, all the way to the ground, all the way to your feet, and just your, the efficiency in which you mo- you can move your body. I don't know if there's a better test as far as like a burpee. Um, then we also went with a get up. Now uh, the get up was because most pe- most guys that when they're getting ready to pack their meat out, they'll strap in. I've seen you do it. You've seen me do it. You lay down, you strap in, and you s- stand up and get up off your back. Yep. So we went with the get up. Um, and then we wanted, uh, we wanted one more, one more, uh, test. And so we, we fumbled around with a few, a few tests. We've had, you know, a belly crawl where we just basically have a low, you know, just a low obstacle where you have to belly crawl simulating having a belly crawl in the grass to get into the, you know, position for whatever it be, fill in yeah. the blank. Um, we've done, uh, <clears throat> tire pulls oh, where, yeah. you know, you're, because, and this we did tire pull early on because um, I was reading a study where uh, like eight like other than falls in the field the number one killer in the field is heart attack and and most guys who have a heart attack believe it or not are whitetail hunters that they get that dump of adrenaline they kill their buck they watch it tip over they go down there they kind of deal with it and they only have to drag it. 200 yards to the to wherever they need need it to haul it out so they'll grab it and they'll take off you know take off pulling it their heart rate spikes um their blood pressure spikes and they and they die they just keel over so i was like we need we need we need a test of some sort of a drag a heavy drag um that kind of went out the window at 2000 i want to say 2006 2007 nationals because I couldn't find the right weight where everybody can drag it and still be, you know, it it was too light for the guys, but too heavy for the girls. And 
trying to get a variety of tires and they're dragging it over terrain so some of them would hang up and we had multiple locations multiple how the hell are you going to get a tire to these locations yeah and it was really tough and that was part of the logistically it was really tough so we got away with from that but we did land at at a it was it's called uh it's basically ground to shoulder right so every every crossfitter out there knows what ground to shoulder is but we use sandbags and that was to simulate taking your pack and getting it up on your shoulder. Yeah. So we, we do a ground to shoulder. And uh, just so that it's real easy to judge, we actually, we uh, just, instead of going right on over your shoulder, you have to throw it over your shoulder. Because some people were hitting their chest or they were shorting it or, you know, yeah, you when you're in a competition. Yeah, when you're, when you're in competition, you try to do it as efficiently as you can. And, there, you know, there's some gray area in efficiency. And in your defense, hey, we were doing CrossFit competitions in the early days yep. when the judges didn't even know right. what the hell was going on. Right. And it was almost like which judge you got had a Depend- big factor on your performance. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's always people that are going to look for little cheats or ways to right. get it. We see it every day. Yep. It's just human nature. People want right. to win, and competition gets the best of them. That's right. Um, and, yeah, so you want a fair standard across the board. That's right. And you want you – basically, what I look, what I shoot for at the Train to Hunt ch- Challenge competitions, and you'll find if you come out and, and do one, is that it is very black and white. It is do or didn't – it's did or did not. It's okay. like – the over-the-box step-ups, two feet on top of the box, two feet on the other side. You either did that or you didn't. There isn't any full extension okay, at the so time. paint a picture for us. Okay. You just did a challenge in um, California. Uh, I just did. Uh, just got back from Arizona. Or Arizona. Yep. <clears throat> Can you take us through the sure. events? Sure, yeah. Right. So, okay, so here, here's what it looks like. Basically, you're going to be put in a heat um, with your with your division. The divisions are basically broke up by age groups. Okay. So anybody under the age of 40, so 39 to 16 to 39 is the open class. And then you have masters, which is 40 to 49. And then you have super masters, which is 50 to 59. And then if you're 60 or over, you're in the senior masters. You're a BAMF. That's right, baby. (laughs) That's right, baby. And, uh, and women have the same. So women, so it's men's and women's. And then we actually threw in the teen division. So 13 to 13, 14, and 15. Love it. You can come out and do it as well. Cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had two women senior masters in Arizona, two women over the age of 60 that uh, came out and did it, and they, they're just rock stars. But uh, So you'll be put in a heat with uh, people in your division. Um, and then, you know, we had six boxes lined up, and it's three, two, one, go. You grab the sandbag. And the sandbag is, is you know, it's it's fairly light. I mean, for men's open, it's 50 pounds, and it goes down from there. Okay. So um, you shoulder that shoulder that uh, that sandbag, and you do 20 over-the-box step-ups. Two feet on top, two feet on the other side, that's one. Does it matter which way you face? Nope, doesn't matter. Cool. Just And the, the only standard is as long as they touch two feet on the box and two feet on the other side, most it's people good. face laterally? Yes, most people. I would are, assume. Yeah, they figure pe- it out. Yeah, most people are lateral, and they step up, step down. Um, some people aren't strong enough for that, Dan. Okay. Yeah, some people aren't. It is only a 20-inch box, but some, you know, some of the shorter competitors, they have to face it, and, and yeah. you know, they have okay. a little bit tough time for that. So you do 20 of those, and then you go on a short run. So it's it's usually, like, the longest course we have is, is 400 meters, and the shortest one we have is, like, 200 meters. With the sandbag? No sandbag. It's nice. just Yep. Yeah, it's just your no pack, no sandbag. You just run, just come back, and you're in a shooting lane. Um, there's six identical targets there's a shooting uh there's a shoot line and you have a lane you pick up your bow you knock and shoot once you've shot your target as long as you hit the target 
you just go immediately to the next exercise. If you miss the target, you have to immediately do 20 burpees. How many um, competitors pick up the bow and shoot immediately upon their return? Almost none. Okay. Almost none. Because most of them have figured out, well, you know, that's not probably not fair to say. Most of them know, hey, there's no way I can, I can shoot right now be, and, yep. and hit the Gast. target. Most of them are, are I'd say 50% of them are, are just are just concerned about hitting the target because they don't want to do 20 more burpees. No doubt. And the other 50%, you know, they want to shoot well. They want to get that heart shot so that they uh, don't have any time penalties. Because if, if you hit the heart, there's no time penalty. If you hit the lung, we do penalize you, not because we think it's a bad shot, only because we're rewarding the heart shot. So it's a 15-second penalty if you hit the... Added to your time. Added to your overall okay. time. And then if you hit the body shot, it's a 30 seconds added to your time. So you go to the box or you go back to the exercise station. You have a judge there. And the next thing you're going to do is, um, okay, so you're going to do ground to shoulder. Basically, you're going to touch the ground with the bag, flop it on your shoulder, and step over the box. So that basic, so that's a standard too. So they either touch the ground with the bag or they didn't, and they got it to their shoulder or they didn't, and then they step two feet on the box on the other side. And that's one rep. They do 10 reps of that, go for a run, come back, shoot again. The third thing they're going to do is a sandbag. So you have a sandbag. It's a brute force sandbag. They touch their chest, go down in a burpee, touch their chest on the sandbag, stand up. And then they have to take the sandbag and throw it either over their shoulder or over their head. Oh, either way? Either way. They can do it either way. But it has to go over their, over their shoulder or over their head, turn around, do it again. 10 reps of that, go on your short run, your third run, come back, shoot your third arrow. The last thing um, that you do is you grab the sandbag, hug it, and you have to do get-ups. Um, very much like a Turkish get-up, the only difference is, is you're not holding the weight overhead. You're just holding it against your body. You're going to lay on your back, stand up, then get over the box. Yep. Because one of, the, you know, one of the big things was people aren't coming all the way up. What constitutes all the way up? Yeah, yeah. So, so just make it black and white. Just go over the box. And that's the end? And you go over the box, and that's one rep. So oh. it's on your back, stand up, over the box, that's one rep. Perfect. Get up, over the box, that's two reps. Do 10 of those, go on your final run, shoot your final arrow, um, and then at that point is when you take your pack, you put it on, snap it on, and your pack is, again, it depends on your age group, but the men's open is 50 pounds. Put a 50-pound pack on, grab their bow, and their bow has two arrows in it. And they're going to hit what we call the mountain course. And the mountain course is anywhere between one mile and two miles. So this is all still the same event? It's all one event. And they strap their... swinging. Yeah, man. So they go out and during the the mountain course, you're going to be on, you know, you're going to be... This is where each each, uh, event is different because terrain is way different in Arizona than it is in Oregon, which is... Yeah. So... We just set up a, it, we flag a series of trails that put you, takes you on about a one to two mile course. And during the two miles, you're going to stop at two separate stations and you're going to have to make a shot during, during the mountain course. Um, same scoring system there. If you miss, you have to do 20. What's per- the yardage on those two shots ish? Um, it's usually, we usually have one between 20 and 30 and one between 30 and 40. So they can use a range finder, though. Like the, the nice thing about because at first when I first started this, it was no range finders. It was like I, I wanted to find out like not only can you shoot, but you can guess yardage. And then I realized 
in my own hunting and everybody that I hunt with, everybody uses a range finder. Yeah, I almost don't even shoot animals anymore unless yeah. I can get a range, which yeah. is taking a long time to get to that point. Yeah. Where, but I've just missed enough animals by being like, oh, I don't have time to range. And turns out I have time to range or yeah. I don't get the shot. And that's, that's the bottom that's line. That's the way so it goes. I like that. That's a good change. So, so they use range finders. They shoot those two targets and they finish. Well, you have what's called a run time. That basically beginning to end. Total time. Total time. So let's say it takes you 35 minutes. And then we do the scoring. Let's say that uh, let's say you shoot all heart shots. Well, your to- your your adjusted time is thirty five minutes. Let's okay. say you shoot all ones. That's that's six animals. You shot one thirty second time penalty. You're gonna add three minutes to your time, so you're thirty eight minutes now. If you hit foam but you don't hit vitals, is that a same as missing? No. If you okay. hit foam, it's a it's a wound, and we've messed with that Dan a lot. Is in terms of like if you because we all know as hunters, if you wound an animal, it's worse than missing. Hundred percent, hundred percent worse. And and what happened was is is there was there was a there was a couple guys that came out, and because it was it was a, a severe penalty for for wounding an animal, they felt like they could just do the twenty burpees faster than the They're time penalty. It. They were trying to game it, and so they were just kind of flinging arrows and doing twenty burpees. Now, I would challenge anybody out there, if you are a cross-country runner and you think, you know what, that's the way I'm going to go. I'm just going to do all my burpees. I challenge you. That's 120 extra burpees along with all and that 20 work. 20 burpees takes, like, the average person at least, what, two minutes? Yeah, I, especially after doing all that work, right? Yeah, yeah. And by the time you hit the sixth target, it's going to take you longer than two minutes to do 20 burpees. So um, we the, the only reason we did away with the with severe um, penalty of hitting ones um, as opposed to missing was because there were some guys out there who were gaming it. I felt like at some point there's like a fine line of like, because some guys were shooting just outside the eights, right? Yeah. They were just shooting just outside the eights. Um, and so it turned out to be a one. It was still a, probably a, a decent shot. Long story short, we'd landed it. There's a penalty for hitting foam outside the eight, but, um, a worse penalty, a, a burpee penalty for missing. So I like that. Yeah. So your first, your first, that's your first event all on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we just go out and we can see you can shoot. Um, I would say that the, as far as the shooting over physical fitness, I would say the shooting weighs more. Yeah. Uh, only because we all know that if you can, if you can shoot, you got a chance. If you can't shoot at all, you don't have a chance. So um, we do a 3D shoot on Sunday, and it's just called the Hunter's 3D shoot because we do a lot of hunting scenarios where it be shooting from your knees or we have uh, scenarios where you draw from behind a bush and you have to stand up and acquire your target and shoot. We have, uh, our, I think our, our probably our most famous one is a follow-up arrow. So you shoot, it's untimed, and then we give you 12 seconds to reload, acquire a second target as though the the... the the target has moved now, yeah, yep. and you get a second arrow in them. Um, That's awesome. In twelve, in under twelve seconds. Who's doing that on their own? Nobody. Yep. Nobody, unless nobody that hasn't ever heard of trained hunt or isn't interested in doing a trained hunt challenge. Nobody's out there timing a follow up arrow. Um, nobody's out there. We do another shot. It's called the five second shot, which I think is probably the most applicable to the the hunting we do. You know, in uh, in brushy country where. Like, it happens so fast yep. that, is he coming? Is he coming? I can hear him. Um, okay, I draw. Oh, there he is. Now, I, you know, I got this small window. I got to shoot. So we do a five-second shot, 
And uh, for those of you out there going, man, five seconds is fast. I would, I would challenge you to go out and just time one of your shots that you're just, you're just drawn and shooting, say, 20, 20, 30 yards. It probably isn't taking you much longer than five seconds. Yeah. But it's a good practice. It's something that I think people should be doing, uh, shooting from a kneeling position, drawing from, you know, drawing from cover and taking one step out and shooting. We do draw, move left, draw, move right. Uh, we draw, we see, we shoot from a seated position. We, we shoot from a tree stand position, um, as often as we can. We even have some clubs that actually have a, a moving target and we shoot a, oh, we shoot a moving sweet. target. Um, so yeah, you get the idea. It's not just your regular run of the mill 3d course. It's a, uh, so day one was one, that one big event, just one big event. And then day two, you're doing the hunters 3d, 3D course. course. Yep. And, uh, the 3d course is scored like this. There's a hundred points possible. There's 20, 20, you shoot 20 arrows and they're scored five for the traditional 10 heart shot. Three is your traditional eight ring or lungs. And then one is foam. Yeah. And then obviously misses still miss. So we have a hundred possible points. And for every point you drop, we, uh, we give you 15 seconds added onto your total time for the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, if you shoot a three, you, there's 30 seconds added to your total time. So we, we basically give a score, a time value, combine it with your, your uh, challenge course, mountain course time, and then we place you, t- you know, first to last or whatever. So it's like every second counts. It, it, it really is. It's, a, it's an every second counts, and that's been a bit huge evolution to, to train to hunt. Um, back in the early days, we tried to do a – a scoring system where the hundred, where the first place got a hundred, second place got ninety nine, third place got ninety eight, and we ended up with a ton of ties. Yeah. So yeah, so the, we basically take your total time, we place you first through, you know, first through last, and uh, this year we're we have an open invitation. Anybody who completes a, a, a basically a qualifying event um, is invited to nationals. So um, if you get, you know, if, if we do, we still have quite a few um, competitions left. We have uh, Oregon. We have Colorado Springs, we have Mesa, Colorado, we have Texas, we have New York, and we have uh, Wisconsin. Those are all left. You can find those at trainhunt.com, um, the dates on those. And we also have some uh, pretty good videos detailing what to expect in, in a, uh, an event um, on our Train to Hunt YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage anybody out there that's looking for an event that's going to test your training, like how is my training doing for you know, for training or anybody who's just competitive and wants to get out there and do it. I will warn you this, that if you show up and you're super competitive and super ready to like, like run into a bunch of crowd that is going to be like, you know, standoffish and, 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 and ready to rumble. Um, you're not going to find that when you come to a train to hunt, you're going to, yeah, yeah. You're going to find people that are like, that want to get to know you. They, they're going to root for you. The person who just ran the heat in front of you that's in your, in your class is going to help you off with your pack and get you some water and congratulate you. And it's a, it's a, it's a really cool environment um, where people are, it's because they're will, all these people are willing to set their egos aside, come out, say, this is what I got. And, uh, and when you're, when you're that type of person, that per- personality, um, you really, uh, you really uh, are proud of everybody for do, being in the same kind of mindset you are. And regardless of how you how you uh, finish, it's a, it's a win win. Period. Yeah. So um, a lot of like minded people too. Yeah, it which is. is. What I found at the elk shape camp was like, oh, we just got all these like minded. Like I literally have all these friends now. Like we have yeah so much in common. We're friends now, and that's cool. Well, that's gonna be a good segue. So. Um, 
Oh, I did want to ask one last thing. So okay. besides the challenges, you guys have training programs available. What does that look like just for those interested in getting going on that? Well, right now we, we're actually running a special. So it's $120 a year and uh, you, get, you get access to a, tra- a year-long training program. Okay, it's 26 weeks and then you start over. Um, so it's 26 weeks of training, uh, six days a week. We do give you one day off to just recover and, and get done your honey-do list or whatever that you need to get done. Um, and then you also have access to four what we call one-click programs. Uh, I think probably the most famous one right now is probably P90X is a one-click program where it's basically they just, the whole program is laid out for you and you know what you're doing on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So you get four one-click programs. One of them is a strength program. It's called High Altitude. Uh, one of them is just a no-shape to mountain shape. It's 16 weeks. It basically takes you from zero to hero. Um, we have a, uh, a six-week kettlebell-only program because people like training with their kettlebells, and so we have a, a whole program designed around the kettlebell. And then we have a train-to-hunt prep program. So it's a train-to-hunt challenge prep program. Oh, so nice. if, you are, if you're interested in, like, hey, I want to go out and do this, um, I designed a 10-week program r- around being successful at the train-to-hunt challenge. And the reason I, tra- I named it the train-to-hunt challenge program prep program is because people are nervous about, hey, am I going to be prepared for this? What kind of movements are involved? And how do I know if I'm good at, the, at, at doing these movements? Um, but the fact of the matter is, is if <clears throat> even if you're not going to do the challenge, challenge, the challenge is designed to get you ready for hunting. And so the program will also get you ready for hunting too. Yeah. So you get access to these four programs. You get, uh, you get the, the year-long training program. Um, you get, you get access to the members only Facebook page where, um, we're doing a lot of live casts where we're doing like nutrition and gear and answering questions for, from the members, um, that's community real time, right into the community. That's right. Now you get, you know, then we give you 15% off any train to hunt merchandise. Um, and then any kind of new program that comes up, um, that we're designing, we give you first first crack at it. Basically you're part of the beta team. Yeah. So if we come up with a new program, we shove it out to you guys, you uh, do it, you give us some feedback on it and then we'll launch it publicly, cool. you know? So it's, it's a, so like 10 bucks a month yep. is what it boils down That's to, right. to elevate your game. That's right. So maybe you shouldn't worry about buying the fanciest backpack boots and bow. Maybe you should take care of the most <laughs> important gear first is you. And then look uh, elsewhere. It's a minimal investment. And who, I mean, you are your best investment. For sure. Okay, well, for sure. that's an easy sell. Uh, I brought you in for the elk shape camp. Yep. I, I ran into you. I was like, you know what, dude? I'm a firm believer in stay in your lane. So when I put this program together for the elk shape camp, it's just about elk hunting. Like yep. really, really what it comes down to is yep. do you have uh, the bad case of elk tag soup? Let me help you with that. Uh, and what these guys are signing up for is they're going to crush the elk hunting learning curve, or maybe they're mediocre elk hunter. You know what I mean? Yep. They're just mediocre. There's some things they need to tighten up in their game. Yep. What they don't know is that it has nothing to do with elk hunting. The whole weekend's designed to make them a better person yeah. and to teach them how to have more discipline in their personal life so they can be a better father, a better husband, a better employer, employee, uh, and that's going to help teach them to have more discipline. And it, it's awesome. Like the last camp we did, it was the very first one. I didn't know how I was going to go. Every person emailed me and said something along the lines of this was life changing. And to me, that's when I knew like, this is what I want to do on the side. Like, yeah, I run a gym, but on the side I can help hunters. Yep. Ha. Huh. Winning. And I knew that, um, I'm, I can call Elkin, but I knew I don't know how to teach people how to call Elkin. So I got a whole first person I called was Dirk Durham. He's a buddy of mine. I think he's one of the best elk callers in the world. 
He said yes. Um, then I called Ryan Lampers, which I'm going to tell a Ryan Lampers story that involves you and us at the end here. Okay. Um, Ryan came over, did all his backcountry nutrition, and he just spent more time in the backcountry than anyone I know. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, and he's good at it, by yeah. the way. <laughs> then I bring Josh Jones in, who I think is my, he's my personal archery coach and the best bow mechanic I've ever met. He's actually teaching me how to work on my own bows. And it's just annoying how he knows how to do every little thing so fast. He's yeah. just He's been doing it since he was like eight years old. His dad's owned an archery shop. So the guy's a wealth of knowledge, and he's a sleeping giant of the whole thing. He literally gets to tune somebody's bow in front of everybody in small groups. He video analysis shoots while you're shooting and coaches you on your shot execution on, on your own cell phone. So you leave with that footage. That's awesome. That's awesome. And everyone's getting a little something. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer in like one or two good things to work on, and that's it. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Uh, he does that. And then we go over all their questions because everybody had questions on their bow setups, their arrow, their rest, third axis. We've covered all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And third axis is something that a lot of people don't know about. But like you said it earlier in the cast, you were like, you can't just go in your backyard and just shoot out to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and you're good. You're never going to have a shot at an elk or any animal flat ground. Right. Never. Right. And so, Josh, we use the Hamsky tool in person if your site allows and get show you how to do third axis. Priceless. Yep. All in one weekend. And then I was like, we tried to do a train to hunt simulation. Kenton lives an hour away. Hey, Kenton, can you run a train to hunt course right here? Expose them to the training programs you have online and the challenge courses that are available. And you were like, yes. I was yes. like, sweet. So you're running that. And now they're going to get exposed to the train to hunt. Perfect practice. Shooting on a dress and all the stuff that you've learned running these for nine years. Yep. And then the other guys are going to be at the gym with me doing their in-body scan, the nutrition, all the fitness, which is garage gym style workouts. Definitely some CrossFit. Yep. Um, and then we do some workout tests, some tests out. So that whole weekend is going to be life-changing. So we have yeah. another one coming up. I got to be honest, I've only had like almost 10 people sign up out of 40 spots. I'm a l- my ego is crushed because the last <laughs> one sold out in like 24 hours. And I was like, oh, we'll double down. We'll get 40 guys. Yep. We'll break them up. We'll bring all you guys in. And we're even bringing a financial guy in to do a small little like tidbit on, on your, your budgeting for hunting, on your discipline for finances, on how yeah. to talk to your spouse. Are you planning for the future? Do you have debt? Like, you shouldn't be out hunting in all these cool places if you can't even, like... Afford it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a cool part of it. And I think it's, elk hunting is just an excuse to make yourself better at all these things. So uh, this is a call out to everybody. Sign up. You can find the link. It's everywhere. And get registered for arguably one of the best life-changing... Yes, it's going to be expensive for you to travel there and stay. Um, but it's not nearly as, as expensive as I think you would find to get all these guys together. I'm paying for... Two different facilities. They're closing down just for the attendees. Paying you for your time and all your stuff that you have to set up. Dirk's time. Josh's time on the archery. Jeff's time on the financial. Um, plus, we have some surprises from our sponsors and stuff. Some really cool, yep. you know, awards and and uh, stuff I can't talk. I just have to keep it a surprise. But yep. I want to get – I only want to do one or two of these a year, I think, here in Spokane. I might take it on the road, but – I'm after an experience that is life-changing where people look back and go, like, that's the fork in the road. That's yeah. what changed me. That's what made me uh, become more disciplined in everything in my life. And I killed more elk because of it, too. Yeah. And I think that in, in a person's lifetime, you can you can expect that you're going to hit, you know, maybe two or three or four of those forks in the road, those life-changing events that, that open your eyes to what you didn't even know. 
you know, and I think that that's something that this camp is going to be able to offer guys. Um, and so I think that even if you do have some experience, you only know what you know. And so to be able to get all of this in one spot is, um, you know, what, what's the value on that? You know, what's the value to be able to open your eyes to things that you didn't even know were life-changing, um, to things that um, can, like Dan said, turn you around, not just as a hunter, but as as a human being and the way you look at, uh, you approach tasks in your life or maybe your family life or your, your uh, you know, your work life or whatever. And I think that, you know, for what you're offering this for, I think is a, it's a steal, really. I mean, people are going to pay thousands of dollars to go um, get these self-help, these self-help seminars or whatever. And, yeah. and uh, to, to basically turn that into a, uh, not only just a, an experience where somebody has the opportunity to meet like-minded people, but, but meet and learn from leaders in the industry, um, that makes you a better elk hunter, better all around person. I mean, I think it's a, it's a steal. And, and, um, like you said, once, once you've experienced it, you can't unring the bell. You're going to have to go forward and, and you'll, you'll just be better for it. So we will knock their socks off. Yep. I'm not kidding. I know. No doubt. Uh, all right, so I wanted to end on a good little story that involved Kent and I. So I told the story actually at the last Elk Shape Camp because uh, Lampers, I had to introduce him, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. how did I meet Ryan Lampers? <laughs> if you guys don't know Ryan Lampers, he's on Instagram as at Stealthy Hunter. Yeah. Stealthy Healthy <laughs> And he's like the most humble guy when it comes to hunting accolades. He's, he's basically like the best mule deer hunter I've ever seen in the backcountry. And I know from personal experience I've hunted with him. Couldn't keep up with him in the mountains. Have Jeez. no shame in saying that. <laughs> Think about that. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm in decent yeah, that's shape. something. He is an animal in the mountains. Um, he's super patient. He just knows when it's time to kill. Yeah. And that's hard to teach. You just learn that. Yeah. Maybe you don't learn I, that. I, 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 I would venture to say that you can learn it to a point, but to the point that Ryan has that he's, ability, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a yeah. gift. And the thing is, is he could be a douchey, like egotistical prick about it i know better than you yeah guy about not it, yeah. at all he's he was out there trying to learn the movements at the camp he was getting coached on his archery execution from josh i mean he was participating which Great was guy. all the guys were but um anyway so i didn't know ryan um you and i are hunting together for elk uh this was 2011 i had just come off killing a pretty good bull in washington on a, like a limited draw tag yeah, yeah. about killed my dad in the wilderness my dad <laughs> tagged along and I think we meet up mid-September, and we go to the spot where bulls are lit. They're lighting up. Um, and I think we had a couple days in there where you were like, you'd been there before me, and you were like, hey, I think there's another guy in here. I met him. Yep. And I wasn't too concerned because I've never really met anyone that's, you know. Right, that's willing to go back there that's just yeah. complete jerk off. So yeah. I was like, okay. Not up to that point anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, so is he a, is he a good hunter? And, you, and I know you'd shoot me straight. You are kind of like. Uh, yeah, dude, I think this guy's a good deal. Legit. And I was like, crap. <laughs> we don't need another really good hunter right, in here. Right. And I hadn't met him yet. And, he, and you're like, yeah, he's got long hair. He's kind of a hippie. He's real soft-spoken. But I think, like, dude, he's back there. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, we get up on the ridge. Uh, it's first light. My dad, you, me, my dad's going to be calling for us. Yeah. We're going to do the flying V. And bulls are screaming, and it's like daybreak. Yeah. And it's like, well, which we one do you want to go Two or three going, yeah. Yeah. So – I think we made a plan where, like, my dad was kind of calling, but we could tell he wasn't bringing them to us, and they were just staying down on the basin. So we were like, 
let's fly in V, let's just go. And we just went like balls out yep. straight down the mountain. Yep. And what I didn't really, I guess I didn't understand until later is Ryan was kind of on the side of a ridge bugling and getting all the bulls fired up. Yep. And at one point I kind of realized he was pulling one of the bulls to him. And I was like in a straight, I was almost in a straight path, like path between him and the bull. Yep. And literally Ryan just called this bull to him, but I shot it yep. out from under him, like a total a-hole. Just boom, shot him 20 yards broadside. I cow called, stopped him, shot him, smoked him, double lung, dead. Yep. And I don't know if Ryan knew that or he just, maybe the bull smelled me, but it was silent. And then I think I cow called you in and you came over and I'm like, you're like, did you get him? Yeah, got him. I think you helped me find him. Yep. Pretty fast, found him. He went maybe 30 yards, yeah. My dad made it to us. Yep. And then we got greedy. (laughs) (laughs) So we got a bull. He's dead. He's a good five. And we're like, let's just gut him because all the other bulls are still bugling. And that herd bull sounds good. Yes. And you were like, yeah, I'm on that. And my dad was the only one who's like, guys, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) You have an elk. It's going to be hot. You need to get the meat out. And I was like, no, dude, we're just going to gut him and go do a double. Yep. And we'll just figure it out later. Yep. We'll just be packing. That was us, man. Let's just figure it out later. Such a bad mistake. Um, So then we went after that bull. Tell that part. Yeah. So uh, the the bull was on a different ridge. And it's pretty deep where we we were hunting. It's not not crazy deep, but maybe 1,500 feet, you know, down to the bottom, across the brushy creek and up the other side. We chased him around in the super brushy over there. We got pretty close. Um, At one point, we put our pack down. And, uh, we're, you know, as, as after that trip, I never put my pack down again because we lost our packs, but we didn't lose them for forever, but put our pack down. We kind of, basically we ended up blowing it. We were gone for probably an hour and a half. That bull was like within bow range. For sure. Couldn't see him. For sure. He was. He wouldn't come out of the thick brush. No. His cows were bedded and I was calling for you and I just couldn't get him to, he didn't. He just, he, 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 was, he wasn't going to come 10 yards away. He, 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 he hung up about 20 yards. At one point, I remember I stood on a stump just to see over the brush, and I could see his, ant, his, his antlers, but he was just standing probably 30 bull. yards from there. Good bull. Came back down. Um, and bottom line is we just couldn't give in. So we went back after probably a half hour of fi- looking for our packs. We found our packs, headed back, and uh, went back up to Dan's and just said, hey, you know what? We'll just live to hunt another day. Yeah. And by the time we got to my bull, I'm not sure what time of day it was. It was it was uh, creeping up on evening, you know, probably, oh, I don't know. We were we were gone long enough that uh, the, the first pack we got to the trail in the daylight, but that was it, the second light. So we broke that bull down. I think my dad was there for that. Yep. And then I, we had basically four loads to take out. It was a big body bull, I yeah. remember. Yeah, and it was I think, big. Um, my dad was like, well, I'm going to go find my dirt bike. Um I don't think he packed out anything, did he? I, I, maybe, maybe a front shoulder. Maybe a front shoulder? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. He packed out a front shoulder, made it to his dirt bike. We didn't have dirt bikes, so we just hiked the loads to the trail. Trail, that's right. He was going to try and shuttle them out. Right, and we got to the trail, and I don't think he he said, I can't get my dirt bike out of here with meat. Like, I can barely get out of here with yeah, just – that's just, right. I'm not good enough rider. This trail is terrible. So did we just – so you and I grabbed grabbed a load. We went up and got to the got. We just went straight up, went to the trail, and that's when we met uh, Rod, your dad. And that's when he was he basically let us know, hey, you know, I I can't get a ton of meat out here on my dirt bike. It's too nasty of a trail. Um, and then uh, so we just left the meat there. I think you went back and got your dirt bike, 
and came back and started shuttling me and no, we went back down and got the load two. Yeah, we got the rest of the loads. Yeah, we got load two, and that was when, uh, and then that was when I oh, I was yeah. so weighed down that I was like, just go because yep. I, I don't remember what I had, but I, I remember I had me <laughs> I had meat in a pack behind me, and I had a, a meat in my day pack in front of me, so yeah. I had a pack and you had all the loose meat plus the, a back quarter. Uh, yeah, loose meat and hind quarter. It was like hundred pounds. It was yeah, it was it was heavy. So I now I remember so. Uh, we, we made a one trip to the trail, yep. the dirt bike trail. Yep. We went all the way back to the bull. Yep. And then we're like, we're getting everything. Yep. Including the rack. Yep. We got everything to the trail. Yep. And then my dad wasn't there. And so that's when I was like, okay, we have to hike it all the way out. That's and right. It was miles. Yep. So we just, yeah. We, I ended up leaving you behind and I yep. made it all the way back to the truck. And my dad was like, my dirt bike's out of gas. I hurt my shoulder. I'm not going back. Yep. And my dirt bike doesn't have a headlamp, it's like blown out. And it's getting dark. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to risk running out of gas, not seeing the trail. I'm not hiking back. So I got on his dirt bike, rode back. By this time, you were coming out. And then I went down and got the other two loads. But all in all, terrible decision to not, like, take care of that right Yeah, away. we should have taken care of it right away and just lived a hunt another day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. when a bull's down, the hunt's over. No matter who's killed it, it's time to get the meat Take out. care of it. We didn't get back till super late. I yeah. think we drank way too many beers in celebration. <laughs> and it was just like, like that put me over the hunt. Oh, like, dude, you're, you're forgetting one of the best parts. Uh, the part about uh, you were at the truck and that, that wolf. Oh, my gosh. Remember that? Because I'm walking out. Cause I'm walking out behind you because you you took the dirt bike out and then I was like, hey, I'll be a, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Wasn't there several wolves? And just as I came through the draw and hit the side, you know, started side hilling, the those uh, wolves howled, and then I hear boom, 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 boom. Yep. And I was like, and here I am in my headlamp in the brush. I got a hind quarter on my back and a 40. I think I had a 45 in my hand. Yeah. And I'm like, well. I guess here we go. Like, I'm just going to have to walk through it. Dude. And you were like, yeah, I just took the gun out and, and shot, shot in the air and just tried to scare the scare wolves off because they had our whole truck surrounded. Yeah, which was which worked. But I remember feeling like as soon as I came through that pass, the only thing I heard was that those wolves howling. And I was like, this is not ideal. I don't think we were allowed to hunt them yet, but I think. I don't think so. We, I mean, we were at a point where like we were seeing them year after year yep. and it was just the start of a debacle. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Thing. They didn't care. I mean, they were right there, pretty brazen, like right by the truck. Yep. Yep. Oh, I totally and I, forgot. Yeah. About and that. I remember thinking when I came through that pass, I remember hearing them howling going, dude, that's right between. I thought they were between me and the truck because the truck at that point is only maybe half a mile. And I was like, they're on that ridge. Yeah. They're on that ridge. And so I just took my gun out and just walked with my gun in my headlamp. And, uh, I was <laughs> every, every little shadow that would move, I'd be like, Oh, no, that's Seriously. not a wolf. And then I, then you shot boom, boom, boom. And then yeah. they shut up yeah. and I was like, well, I know that they're down at the truck. I'm just going to just beeline it for the truck and, you know, see so the same spot last year. Yep. You'll believe this, but I don't know if other people will. It's like the wolves were like literally 40 yards off the truck that night when you were coming down the yeah. mountain and I'm shooting in the air, trying to scare them off. And there was a pack. Okay, that's 2011. So yep. last year, 2018, same spot. Um, I had to beg my dad to go hunt there that day. Yeah. Uh, what happened? He he went back there with me a little ways, parked his bike. He, there's just a few spots he doesn't like to ride, and I don't blame him. He's 62. But yeah. he beat me back to the truck, and so I come out at dark, 
and we're loading our bikes. His truck is running. It's a diesel. Yeah. And we're loading the bikes, and I'm like, did you hear that? And his bike's running, and I'm like, hey, did you hear that? And he's like, no. I'm like, shut your bike off. Shuts his bike off. A wolf is in the same spot that where those other wolves were, growling like a dog at us, growling. And it's this now we can hunt him. Now yeah, I yeah. Attack. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? So we're like turning our headlamps on. We got our guns in our hands. Like I'm like I'm heading into the brush to see if this wolf's like trying to charge us when we're like not looking. Yeah. Never saw him, but like literally same spot. Wolf yeah. growling at us. Yeah. There must be it, a den right there or something. There, there must be. It, it and it's and the wolf the wolf problem because it's a whole nother podcast. But man, it's a uh, it's yeah, an epic. That was my. That's our next one. I already recorded it with my dad. Did you? Did you see the video with my daughter last week? No. Um, no. Basically, I'll have to check it out. You'll have to check it out. Yeah. But I, oh, hey, Tristan. Hey, perfect timing. So the video is unbelievable. But, like, I'm, I'm going shed hunting with my little four-year-old daughter, and I packed a rifle, and I put it in the front seat. Yep. And I'm the, I'll admit it. I'm the worst when it comes to packing a gun. Like, everybody yells at me because I don't pack guns. Yep. Um, I don't have a good fear. I, and I'm going to start I'm advertising my goal. I'm going to start packing at least my Glock on my hip, but I take my daughter out to go basically shed hunting and we get only five miles from the highway yeah. on the four wheeler. And I see a wolf coming and I'm kittens watching the video now. And this thing no is on the same road way. as us and it's coming right to us. And I'd left my rifle in the truck, wolf tag in hand. And I just happened to like, I forgot out in the getting my daughter out of the truck and get on the four wheeler and this wolf comes to about 40, maybe just a little under 40 yards till I have to, like, stand up and yell at it. He's an alpha male. He's just cruising that road right there as you're yeah, watching. Yeah. And I, like, have to stand up and yell him. And he's not even, like, he kind of runs away, but hardly. Like, he had no fear. No fear. No just, fear whatsoever. You are a wolf attractant, buddy. My dad says the same thing. You are a wolf attractant. That and, uh, and mountain lions. Yeah. But – I've never met anybody that runs into wolves more often than you. If, I've told people that this if podcast, you just start packing a gun, you could probably do yeah. put a dent. <laughs> You're not, yeah. but you know, but I do need to start packing my handgun yeah. more. Um, that's crazy. But that's a that's scary. Daylight, middle of the day, and that's down low. So they're moving down with the elk. Yeah, and yeah, we'll have to talk another time about wolves. But I don't, yeah. I don't like what's going on in the current situation, yeah. especially in that unit particularly. But yeah. man, it's been good catching up. Um, it has. It has what, been what are you looking forward to this year? Um, as far as hunts go. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna do the goat hunt with my dad, and then uh, is that August? That's uh, late September. So last week in September, first week in October. Oh, sweet. So I'm gonna do some elk hunting. Man, elk hunting is just something that calls me every single year. I'm not a very good elk hunter, but I'm getting better. Um, and that's all a person can do. I, I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this camp because I wanna. I wanna learn, man. I'm, you Dirk know, from Dirk and those guys. Mind. I think that. I think that uh, I've been elk hunting for I've been elk hunting with my bow for 20 years, and uh, there seems like I learn more lessons than anything every year. So I'm looking forward to elk hunting as usual, um, and then that goat hunt. Mm. Um, those are the two big hunts that I'm going to do. I don't do a ton of out of state hunting just because you know uh, having a young family and, yeah, and a budget, business, and, really, and, yeah. re- and I have to budget my time as well because yeah. I'm I'm doing so much during the summertime, being gone for events and that kind of stuff that. You know, I don't, frankly, I don't, I don't really want to be away from my family that much more other than that. I'll do, I'll do a, a good long elk hunt in September. I'll do that hunt in 
that goat hunt in uh, you know late September October, and then I'll probably wrap it up. You're set. Yeah. You know, being family men is really what this podcast like. We talk about just balancing yeah. family yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and some things just have to give. Um, I used to be a diehard shed hunter. Yeah. I mean, the only shed hunt I've done this year has been with my family. We went to New Mexico for shed hunting. Yep. And we did it together. Yep. And then just last weekend with my daughter, I took her. Yeah. Sure, I would have loved to go on by myself. Sure. But like, what's it worth? Like, yeah. it's a shed. It's a little, like, participation trophy. Yep. Not going to burn family time. That's right. Um, I burned family time for a little bit of bear hunting. Yep. But this year, I'm going turkey hunting with my kid, Avery. Nice. So, it's going to be like... I mean, I'm only going to take her. I could care less about turkeys. Yeah, yeah. But I want her to just get exposed. Um, yeah. And in the July, you look at our July calendar, it's completely full of family camping. Good. Like 100%. And then once mid-August rolls around, I pretty much flip the switch where, like, I get pretty selfish. I'm going to try to kill an antelope. I'm going to try to kill three bulls this year. Um, and then it's done. And yeah. And then it's back to, you know. Back to work and family. Yeah. yeah. So it's all about balancing that out. It is. And, you know, I think that that's an ongoing, it's it's not, I wouldn't call it a struggle, but it's an ongoing process of trying to. trying struggle. Try and, and, and it's year to year, right? Because oh, yeah. from year to year, there's opportunity that there wasn't there last year or whatever. So I think that for me anyway, it's just a matter of like realizing, playing the long game, realizing that, hey, this is a, you know, my ki- I only have my kids for a short period of time. And yeah. if, and right now they're not hunting age yet, you know, it's kind of tough to pack them around, you know, on, on these adventure hunts, but like you, like you're doing perfect example. I'm going to make some time. I don't remember the last time I heard you went turkey hunting. Yeah. In fact, the last right? th- yeah. So, but what a great opportunity to take your, you know, take your kids out and get them exposed and spend some time with them. And, um, I think it's, it's always going to be uh, a delicate balance. And as long as, for me, it's just a big, the big deal is including my wife in that balance and saying, you know, um, this is what, this is what I want to do. This is my plans. Um, you know, how, how am I doing? Basically, never know how what am I you're doing? Thinking. Right. I've just realized that like, yeah. even like you do the same thing year in and year out. Yeah. I have to tell Alicia what I'm thinking yeah. way early on. She's got this little binder. You can see it over there. Yep. Like I literally go into it and I write down what i'm doing even yeah. if i don't know for sure i have to like communicate to her like this yeah. is what i'm thinking ahead of time yep and it's i gotta key. be honest when when you look at it she doesn't have anything written in there for herself right like being a hunter's you're selfish it is it is a selfish time and it's and it's a really tough adjustment to go from you know in our early 20s and you know early 30s to being able to just basically drop and go like in our early early uh gym years we just yeah. We're just taking the whole time off and we're going. If we have the time, we're going. And, uh, you know, as you get married and have kids and that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff eats up some of that free time. And it's just a balancing act. And um, you're right. You know, I, it is a selfish act. But at the same time, uh, I always feel like I can justify it by that guy. You know, oh, I can too. Uh, <laughs> it's no, easy for me to justify. I could easily give you a dissertation. I can tell you that the one thing that my wife will agree with me on is that I'm just a better per- human being when I get out of the mountains because I, I have to recharge. It's where I, you know, that's where I find God the most is in, in the mountains. I mean, I'm a, I'm a church going man, but at the same time, like I, I feel like I do my best communication because I can be still and it's quiet. And, and I, <clears throat> just being in his creation is really helped me no out. Doubt. So. Yeah, and, I like that you said there about, yeah. um, you know, your wife knows that she's going to get a better version of you when, yeah. she, when you come out. Um, I, that's You can't even argue that. I think they know. Yeah, they know. So, well, I, uh, man, I just appreciate you being, a, you know, having me on the podcast. It's been awesome 
you know, basically coming back and oh, yeah, man. reconnecting right and some, something that I think everybody should know that's your listeners. Some, you know, some of you, all you know is Dan's voice. You have never met him. You have maybe seen him on a, a few videos, but I can tell you that he's a good man. And one of the things that I will be forever grateful for Dan Staten is that God introduced me to Jesus and it was a long time ago. And he, but he was the guy that uh, God went through to, to say, you know, stop, t- stop turning away from me and turn back to me. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you remember those days, but yeah, you, invi- you invited me to church like four times, man, before I ever said. And what it was, it was I, I saw it in you. I was like, man, this guy's just like me. Yeah. You know, he, lo- he has passion for the same places I have passion. And if he has passion for Christ, then maybe I should at least take a look at it. And so. Oh, man, I'm, I'm really pumped to hear you say that because you know me better than most people on this planet. Yeah. Even though you haven't talked to me in a while. Yeah. You st- I haven't changed. I'm still the same, Dan. Like, I'm really flawed. And luckily, you know Jesus, and you know that like we're all majorly flawed, yep. and you can find grace in your heart to Absolutely. see past my shortcomings. Absolutely, and be like, you know what, Dan's—he's flesh and blood, man. He's a human being. Not to get <laughs> deep on this, but like it's the truth. Like it is true. It is cool to know that your faith will let you like forgive me for my wrongdoings to you or my trespasses, and also have grace to know that like. I'm trying my best. You know Absolutely, my heart's man. in the right I do. spot. And I've, I know that about you too. Yeah. And so it's good. It's good. Just, uh, it's good. I just wanted everybody to know that, you know, what kind of man that you're dealing with and listening, listening to and taking advice from is he's a man of God and he's, he's a man of his word. And, and, uh, I've always known that about you. You have a great heart and, uh, I, I really appreciate, uh, you having me on your podcast. I can't wait for this, uh, elk shape camp. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. And, uh, if you are a trained to hunt listener, you guys pull the trigger. You, you, I get all the time about how to fast track your learning curve. There's no better way than than uh, coming to Spokane and and getting into the self shaped camp. So I hope to see some of you there. I look forward to seeing everybody who uh, signs up and spending time with everybody. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Dan. Yeah, man. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next one.